TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's the Score North Twin Show. Welcome into the Score North Twin Show. I'm Judd, he's Jake, um, and Jake Pugh, we actually have baseball to talk about now. And let's start with this one. What do you imagine that it's going to be like um, to go to baseball games as a member of the press corps, zero fans? Because I saw it on Thursday, and I'm going to tell you right now, I think I'll adjust, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, it's going to be really weird. I I mean, I'm looking forward to it in the sense that it's just so weird and so surreal and, and different than, than anything we've ever experienced that I want to see what that's like. But yeah, I mean, I watched that Intersquad game that the Twins streamed on, on Twitter, and it's very strange to have the walk-up music and have, uh, you know, player introductions and no fans, nobody talking uh, other than Sergio Romo yelling from the dugout. It, it is... It's almost post-apocalyptic. It really is. But, Judd, I'm at the point right now where I'm just happy we have any baseball, that we have anything to talk about, to cover. Uh, so yep. I'm not complaining, but it is very strange. I mean, what, what were your impressions when you sat in the press box over the last few days? Um, well, they, I, I actually went to both of the uh, games that they played. They played on Wednesday, and they basically did that as a dry run. So it was sort of weird, but it was like going to – um, a Babe Ruth game, right? Like there was no noise and there were no fans, but it was like kids playing. But Thursday was the dry run. And, and so you, you had, um, um, you had things shown on the scoreboard. You had, as the players came up, their pictures were shown with what would have been their stats, type videos at one point, um, walk up music played and the PA guy announcing each player. And here's, Jake, what's so weird? All of this would be followed by, the, for the most part, by complete silence. That's what's so weird about it. And and uh, well, Delhi talked about the fact that they are going to talk about and possibly experiment with the fact uh, or with the um, factor of piping in noise. And I saw a report in the Athletic. Then I believe it was on Friday morning, basically citing sources as saying the league is going to offer this to teams. Um, it would be phony. It would be weird. It it would be eye roll inducing. But I can see the issue of going from now batting Byron Buxton and then his song plays, right? And you, you get the everybody clap your hands. Complete silence. So like piped in noise, at first blush, I'm like, come on, really? But at second blush, I, I could see how you could have players say, just give me something. Like it's not real, and I get that. But I think what this is going to come down to, to a certain degree, is mind games like players yeah. playing mind games with themselves to jack themselves up. Because if you literally look around and there's nobody there, but you know, let's say 20 people in the press box that, that runs so against everything that you've been used to for a long time. Yeah. And players feed off of that and they've talked about it. And I, I think when the action actually starts in the regular season, they'll figure out a way to, to get themselves pumped up. They'll, they'll do the mental gymnastics that they need to do, but yeah, if pumping in crowd noise helps them, you know, focus and get to the, to the place that they need to be. Then I have no problem with that. It would probably make for a better viewing experience at home. Um, although I would like to hear the one cool thing about no noise is it'd be cool to hear what the players are saying on the field. You'd have to have a good 
uh, producer who can bleep out all the all the cuss words, and it'd be on a seven second delay, I guess. So maybe they could get that done. Um, but from a fan perspective, I I would like that option to hear what the players are saying and hear what the manager. I don't want it bleeped out. I don't want it bleeped out. I'm with you one thousand percent. Here's my idea. Give me um, on especially the uh, Fox Sports North. Give me Fox Sports North too for night games. Call it Twins After Dark. Yes. Real time. I don't want the noise. I want to hear I'm completely with you. In in a season where everything's going to be so weird, give me Rich Hill melting down, which Rich Hill will do. Um, Donaldson, the same exact thing. I want to hear the byplay. I want to hear as much strategy as possible. And, guy, you know, if a guy drops an F-bomb or six or seven, I don't really care. I want to hear it. Yeah, uh, yeah. give us the option, right? It could be an alternate feed. Uh, that would be great. So, all right, so we're in this situation now where it's really day-to-day. It's literally day-to-day. At any point, this could, I think, uh, you know, be all, you know, they could just cancel the whole season or they could shut it down for a couple of weeks if we have a big outbreak. We literally do not know, you know, from one day to the next whether there's going to be baseball. But there right. is baseball right now, and it feels great, as weird as it is, it felt amazing, at least for me, to watch that intra-squad squir- uh, scrimmage on, uh, what was it, I guess, Thursday night. Thursday um, night. And so you, you've been there. You're covering it. What are your impressions in terms of the actual on-the-field action that you've seen? Who have you been impressed by? Uh, just w- what are your general takeaways? Uh, one is the guy that you actually led your uh, Twin Score North notebook with on Saturday, which you can find at our scorenorth.com website right now Byron Buxton I am so curious here and and I still contend that even within the parameters Jake DePew of a 60 game season I think this season is so important because Byron Buxton right now to me looks a fantastic two if you think about in a dead sprint of, of a season so I'm not talking about his speed I'm talking about the sprint of the actual twins season itself if you think about, let's say this guy can play 58 games, is healthy. The, the havoc that he wreaks on the bases, but the fact that so far at the plate, he is smoking the baseball quite a bit, and, and just go back to the fact of how good he makes a pitching staff, because assuming he doesn't crash into fences constantly, he still tracks down baseballs that most human beings can't, right? Yes. Buxton, to me, remains an... This was true in Fort Myers in March, and it's true now. Buxton, to me, remains such an, such an interesting X factor of if this guy can stay on the field, his confidence looks like it's soaring, and, and it has been for a while now. This is not new. But, I mean, this is a guy who three years back, confidence was shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the amount of things that he can bring and the difference that he can make in a 60-game and then potentially playoff year, that is is my top thing. And, and – you actually touched on the 13 pitch at bat that he had against Jake on Thursday. Mm-hmm. That was masterful on both sides. I mean, that was that was big league bleeping baseball right there. That's the exact type of portrait of, of the thing that when uh, professional sports aren't being played, we miss. But I would say my top observation right now is the what if from Byron Buxton. Yeah, so I have a lot I want to say on Buxton. First of all, as far as the confidence, I agree. It's sky high. Uh, I think it all changed for him when the Twins didn't call him back up in September of 2018. When they sent him down, he came back. So he came back, if you remember, in the middle of 2018, and he was still hurt. And he played hurt to help the team. 
it didn't go well. They put him back on the IL, uh, and eventually they sent him down, and then they optioned him, and they never called him back up. And he was pissed. You know, to that point, we had only heard, you know, sort of company lines from from Buxton, right, that he was a team player, you know, he'd do whatever it takes, and, and that's all true. But he got pissed by that, and I don't blame him. They screwed him over, and they did it to, to manipulate his service time to get an extra year. They, that team wasn't going anywhere. There's no reason to call him up in September other than to get him more at-bats. And they wanted to manipulate his service time. And, and I don't blame him at all for being upset. And he basically, at Twins Fest, kind of came out and, and said more or less, you know, F you to the organization. I'm here for myself. You know, I'll, I'll play as hard as I can, but uh, I'm not happy about it. I think it all changed for him then. I think he got that sort of chip on his shoulder and he showed it in 2019. He came back and everybody wants to talk about the injuries and it's a very valid thing with Buxton. You can't not talk about the injuries, but man, he was great the first half of last year. When they started out, I think 41 and 18, he was their best player. I mean, he was among the league leaders in doubles. He was stealing bases. He was playing his great defense. He was hitting for power. I mean, he is a superstar. When he is on the field and the bat is right, he is a superstar. Yes. And that's what we saw last year before the injury, before he crashed into to yet another wall. And I have no reason to believe that uh, we won't see it again in 2020 as long as he's healthy. Um, so his confidence, like you said, is sky high. But as much as it goes against everything I believe about baseball to, to look into one plate appearance and especially one plate appearance in an intra-squad scrimmage with no fans it was impressive I was sitting there watching him foul it wasn't just that Odorizzi was all over the place and he was taking pitches he fouled off 11 pitches in that at bat Odorizzi couldn't put him away and he was really airing it out right he knew that was his last batter he was airing it out and yep. Bucks was following off breaking balls he was following off high fastballs I mean he looked good and he had a he had a double I think off the wall against Odorizzi earlier in that game he was right on everything. And when you see Bucks and struggle, you get a ton of swing and miss, right? Especially on, on oh, sliders, yeah. sliders down and away. Yep. You weren't seeing that in that inter-squad. I mean, he was on everything, following pitches straight back, making solid contact. So, yes, it was one, one game, one scrimmage, one plate appearance. But, man, it was as positive a sign as you could possibly see from Buxton. He's healthy. He's confident. And I think he's going to have, if he stays healthy, a very big year. Uh, three years back, Byron Buxton is incapable of that at bat. And I don't care yeah. if, it's, if it's against the Dodgers. I don't care if it's against the Yankees. And I, I don't care if it's against a teammate at target field. He would have been incapable of that at bat. That was a, in any circumstance, professional at, at bat. Um, I think to your point, too, I think the key thing when Buxton finally said bleep you and bleep this is and this was the thing that he had done for so long right and he finally said i am going to stop listening to everybody who comes up to me and tells me do this no do that no do, do this he ad- he basically adopted i think through coaching and perhaps his dad a bit but he adopted a philosophy and then most importantly stuck to that because i'll never forget the year that and he did have some success but the year that they said use a leg kick use the kick it'll help your timing out and then he tried it and of course it worked for a while and, and then as uh, happens a lot in professional sports it was adjusted to by the pitchers they adjusted to him he couldn't adjust back and so I really think it was important when he finally got mad and said this is ridiculous I'm not being treated fairly true or not was that he also said I'm going to listen to about one person or two and I'm going to 
implement a strategy, and then I'm not changing that again. Because there was nothing more frustrating than the, it seemed like, uh, bi-monthly Byron Buxton, I'm changing my approach thing. And then he'd get down in the dauber about it, and blah, blah, blah. That's gone now. Like this guy has, if he can stay on the field, the mentality of Byron Buxton now is completely different. And that's paramount. Um, so I just, I want to see him play consistently because I think you're right. I think we are on the precipice of this kid being a superstar. But most importantly, you got to stop crashing into walls. And, and he, he talked about this again a couple days ago and talked about this in uh, spring training as well, Jake. He does claim that, that he spent a lot of this downtime now studying how to, if you can say this accurately, collide with fences now and studying how to jump off two feet as opposed to trying to launch himself off one foot into walls, blah, blah, blah. But the most important thing and the thing that he's going to have to work through his mind is, you know what, Jake DePew, sometimes it's a double. Yep. Sometimes it's just and, – and you know what else? Sometimes the damn ball is going to fall in front of you, and it's a single, and you field it on one hop. Because the thing in Cleveland scared me. Because the Twins moved him back um, last year towards the wall so that his collisions wouldn't be as fast and violent. And then you had the game in Cleveland, right? Shallow fly ball that a year before that he gets to, but now he's playing too deep. But instead of saying, you know what it is? It's a single concussion. So he's going to have to understand that he helps the pitching staff and it's ERA more consistently by sometimes not making plays. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's tough because it, it makes – I really admire Buxton for the way he plays. You know, I mean, we, we bitch about athletes making, you know, business decisions or whatever all the time or not going all out. Well, he goes all out 100% of the time, even when maybe he shouldn't. I mean, if you remember, he made a catch in Cleveland, I think three years ago, I think it was 2017 on Mother's Day, where he, I think it's the best catch he's made in his career. And he, he, he robbed Carlos Santana uh, of at least a double, maybe a home run, and he jumped way up and collided with the fence and made this unbelievable catch. And I remember that game. It was like 9-2. to two. They, were de- they were down like 9-2 to two in like the seventh inning when he made it. Right. And, and I thought, that is an amazing play, and I admire the fact that he goes all out for, for his team you know, in a game that's basically unwinnable. But you also have to be a little bit smarter than that and say, okay, let that fall for a double. If the game's on the line, then you go and, and try to make that catch. For your own, you know, earning potential and, and for just, you know, keeping yourself on the field to help your teammates, you have to be a little bit smarter than that. Um, and I think I, he's a smart guy and he, and he gets it. And I think he's had it, like you said, a change of mindset. Um, and so I think we will see hopefully him be a little less aggressive uh, going uh, to the wall. But to your point about coaching, I think James Rousen was huge. Yes. In getting him to adopt one philosophy and Rousen was a voice he could trust. He's a res- he was a re- very respected guy in that clubhouse. Everybody loved him. I think Rousen really got Buxton on the right path. And so hopefully he can continue with that because the sky's the limit. We've been saying this for years about him, but man, he could be su- – he could be – this is not hyperbole. I think he could be a top five player in Major League Baseball if he was healthy for a full season. Right now, Buxton to me is a top five player as far as far as this difference maker. Like yeah. he is, he is, um, I, I would compare him to more like a basketball or football player where, where multidimensional skills can help. Like if you think about him, if he walks, okay, 
if he wa- so he's standing on first base. Most guys, you're you know, okay, he walked, blah blah blah. He's a pain in the ass. He's a nightmare. You don't know what he's going to do. He could score on a bleeping single. Like if you think about the differences that this guy can make, I, I think he's a top five difference maker type of player because he also tracks fly balls that no one gets near. Right. Mm-hmm. Like all of the all of the things that he brings makes him a matchup nightmare. And your problem as an opposing team, if you're Cleveland or the White Sox, a team like that, I don't think you have a guy to match up with him. So, like, you don't have him. Yep. So, like, is, is there a guy consistently on teams across the league who, if he is standing on first base and just walk, the pitcher is really concerned? Because Byron Buxton makes you really concerned and if you're a pitcher, I, I think alters your approach and philosophy because he brings so many potential things just from getting from home plate to first base. Yep. And when you add power to that, and he showed power last year and in 2017 he showed power, I mean, he's a dynamic player. He really is. And, and uh, it's just a matter of putting it all together. We keep waiting for it and waiting for it. And maybe a 60-game year where he plays, like you said, 58 games, I mean, he could make a, a huge impact on this team. And there's going to be so much variance. Every play is going to be so critical this year. And, yes. you know, if he saves two or three games with, you know, catches in the gap, you know, in late, in late innings to preserve leads, I mean, that could be the difference between making the playoffs and not. Um, and it's just with the defense, because their defense was subpar last year, you know. I mean, Buxton was great, but Rosario – pretty bad in left field last year. The defensive metrics were not kind to him at all. Kepler is a good right fielder, but below average in center. So when yes. you take Buxton out and force Kepler to play center, yes. it takes the defense really uh, uh, pretty subpar. And, and, you know, Polanco's not very good at short. Sano wasn't good at third last year. Uh, Arise doesn't have much range at second. Uh, and so you really need Buxton uh, to, to sort of anchor that defense. So yeah. And if, yeah, if he's out there too, now all of a sudden he's actually covering ground in left and right that that those guys don't have to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I never bought the one thing that I didn't buy from Rocco and the boys last year was this: they dismissed defense consistently publicly. They just dismissed it, and I call BS there. There's no way that they didn't look at their at their defense after they got swept out of the playoffs. There's no way that they didn't say this has to be improved. And, and in fact, now I think it has been improved. But that defensive philosophy of, oh, yeah, you know, Polanco didn't make that play or, or Miguel fell down, which he did, you know, and he didn't make that play, blah, blah, blah. And they sort of just like glossed o- over their defensive deficiencies in 2019. They're too smart. I never bought that they meant that. I, I think they were trying not to uh, call out their players and make their own players look bad because Baldelli and the twins work very hard not to do that, Jake. Uh, But I was, I never bought into, they really don't care. I thought privately they're concerned and they should be. Oh, of course. They're way too smart to not care about defense. And if you look at the playoffs, so, you know, the playoffs, it's, it's, it's easy to remember the playoffs is just a total domination by the Yankees. And it was, but in game one, the twins took a two Oh lead, right. To start. And that whole game shifted, and I don't know if it might have been the th- it was third or fourth inning where Luisa Rice couldn't get to a little blooper that I think yep. LeMayhew hit, and part of that was because he was playing on an injured ankle. But Arise doesn't have a, a ton of range to begin with; he couldn't quite get to it. 
that's that led to the leadoff runner getting on. They eventually put guys on base, but they were still going to get out of it with only one run scored. And CJ Crone just flat out dropped a double play ball. You remember that? Uh, and I think the Yankees went on to score like four runs that inning, and that was pretty much it for that game. So that was, you know, kind of a microcosm of their season that, you know, their offense put them ahead and they had enough pitching to, to, to get by, but their defense let them down. Um, and so they have to be better about that. Adding Donaldson is huge for the defense. So no, at first is, is my biggest uh, concern slash yeah. curious, curious area. Uh, because that's the one thing we often like to talk about. First base is easy. Just put the big guy there. Okay. No, 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 no. It's footwork. It's uh, positioning. So, so yeah, I, I think that if Buxton can stay on the field in 2020, I think that the twins have, could have pretty good defense. The one place where I am concerned though is first base. And are you going to take Sano out late in games and try and get a defensive upgrade there? Cause that's the one area where, where I do think Crone, especially before he got hurt, I think he got hurt in June before Crone got hurt. I do think that CJ Crone saved Polanco's baking quite a bit. Good. He was good. Yep. To your point, Polanco is uh, certainly not a great shortstop. So I want to see now if Sano at first base can come close to being sufficient. Yeah, it, it all comes down to me to whether he can scoop balls. Because like you said, Crone, sure. other than that play in, in game one of the ALDS, he scooped a ton of Polanco throws in the dirt, saved a lot of errors and a lot of runs. If Sano can do that consistently, he'll be okay. If he really struggles with those hops, with those in-between hops, and lets balls get by him, it's going to be a major issue. And they're going to have to bring Marwin Gonzalez in in the six or seven. Those are tough, though. They are tough. Those they picks are tough. Aren't- but a good major league first baseman. Makes Absolutely. Absolutely. And Maurer, Maurer, boy, he made those plays. I mean, he should have won a gold glove up uh, at first, but he made those plays Absolutely. very consistently. And, and yeah, with, with Blanco over there at short, uh, Sano's going to have to, he's going to have to work on that. And unfortunately, because he's not, you know, because he has COVID and let's hope he's okay, first of all, obviously, but assuming he is and he comes back, he's not going to have as much time to, to work on that as, uh, as he normally would. So, That'll be something to watch for sure during the season. Hey, pitching depth. Yes. Guess what? Right now, I think it's pretty damn good. Barrios, Odo, Maeda, Hill, Bailey, who I don't love, but he's out there. Dobnik, Thorpe, Maeda back. I, I think I think they're going to count the playoff games that he had to sit against his suspension from la- from last year. So it's going to be I think thirty plus games still left. Uh, but but the point is, I'm not saying it's the greatest uh, starting staff in baseball. But right now, if Hill can pitch and he looks fine, um, and of course when when they signed him initially, they thought that he wouldn't be set until July, probably. Again, Rios, Odo, Maeda, Hill, Bailey, Dobnik, Thorpe, Pineda. You got some choices. I love their depth. I really do. I love. I, I actually really like their rotation. I think behind Cleveland, they have the second best rotation in the American League. If Rich Hill is healthy and effective, that's the big key. If Rich Hill is the Rich Hill of 2019 and 2018 when he actually pitched, I mean, he's a damn good pitcher. You look at his statistics, it's like, wow, this guy is a legit ace, really, based on his numbers. It's just that he can never stay healthy. Um, if he can give them 10 good starts and Barrios can really air it out in a short season, because the issue with Barrios has always been that he's faded in, in August and September, right? right. He's, he's too hard a worker. He pushes himself too much and he gets fatigued. Well, yes. in a 60 game season, that's not going to be an issue. 
So if he's on his game and Hill is pitching well and you get, you know, consistent Maeda, which Maeda has always been a, a solid, you know, number three, number four guy, and you've got Odorizzi in there and then Pineda comes back, I really like their rotation a lot. And then you've got, like you said, you've got the swing guys. Dobnik, I think, is, is going to be a contributor. Uh, Smeltzer, Thorpe, um, you know, that group to get yeah, to – Yeah, Smeltzer. I, mm-hmm. I didn't – Nick yeah, to get that. to the back end, and, and Taylor right. Rogers is one of the best in the business, and uh, you know at the at the back end of the pen. And Duffy was great last year. If if May can uh, can you know build on his second half, they've got a lot of depth. They don't have a ton of top tier, you know, studs. Right, Hill can be that guy if he's healthy. Barrios right. has the you know that he has the potential, but they you know I would still take Clevenger. Um, and Bieber probably over anybody on the twin staff. Rios is going to have to be lights out. Yes. That's the one thing I know is, is, is there is no, there should be no, who's really the ace here, right? Yeah. Jose Barrios has to be great. And, and I do think that, that, you know, when he struggled late last year, and then I think in September came back and pitched pretty well. I do think that they, at that point in time, took some steps to say, quit pulling cars around in December. Like, you don't need to be pulling cars with your teeth. Yes. You know, just, just stop it and and allow you, yourself some time uh, to, as Rocco loves to say, rest and recover. They love that term. Um, but I do think of, of the pitchers that I went through, if Briel struggles from the get-go or there's some, like, who really is the ace here? I don't think that's good. I think that the one thing that we need to see is is in the vast majority of starts that he does get in 2020, Jose Barrios uh, completely emerges as that's the guy that you want starting all the real important games, including playoffs. Yep. Here, here's the one issue with, with the Twins roster construction. I wrote about this in the, in the piece on Score North. They, they built that roster to have an enormous amount of depth. Right? They have so much depth, especially on the pitching side. And what they lack in top-tier talent, they make up for in, in depth. And you need that in a 162-game season. Right? Nobody goes through a 162-game season with the same five starting pitchers and the same seven or eight relievers. Right? The Twins used something like 30 pitchers last year. I mean, they cycle through a huge amount. And so yes. they really built up that depth. You know, thinking we're gonna have, we're gonna put out quality pitching every day. It might not be elite every day, but we're not gonna have quad A guys or triple A guys pitching significant innings. Now, in a sixty game season, that unfortunately just doesn't matter as much, right? The goal in a sixty game season is gonna be to put out your best guys every day. Like I don't, I don't anticipate Nelson Cruz and Josh Donaldson getting many days off just for rest and recovery in a sixty game season. So it's really gonna be about superstars. Um, and so that is, it's just unfortunate. There's nobody to blame, right? I mean, it's, there's a pandemic and we have a shortened season, but it is too bad because they have so much depth and they were so well positioned to fend off uh, the Indians and the White Sox with their depth because those two teams, while they have top flight talent, they have top flight pitching like Giolito on the White Sox and, and the guys we mentioned on the Indians, uh, Clevenger and, and, and Bieber and even Sabali. Um, they don't have that depth to, to, to reach into their minor league system, and the Twins do. And that's just not going to be as much of an issue this year. So that hurts them. I still think they're the favorites to win the Central, uh, but there's so much variance now. Uh, and in the 60-game season, you, you just don't know. One bad stretch, right, Jake? I mean, oh, one yeah. stretch. If, if, if you have a two-week period where you just stink, and baseball, it happens, right? Yeah. 
you're in huge trouble now. This is going to, the one thing that I'm so curious about for the coming year in baseball is this. This is going to be, I believe, probably, I hope, the only time in our lifetimes where we're going to have a baseball season that replicates a football season and not baseball. That's right. Every game, like, you can legitimately, and I know that the ball guys hate this, but you can legitimately, the day after every game, break that game down in detail about what went right and wrong and come back to that could bite you in the ass. Yep. Baseball, you know, how, how many times do we see games in, in April or May? And you're like, well, it's too bad, but, you know, there's tomorrow night and, oh, there's 162, blah, blah, blah. This is going to be the one year, I, I hope, where we actually have a situation where after every game we can break it down in detail and it could come back and be either the most important win of your 2020 season or, worst case, the most important loss and key loss. And that's where you have to – I think you have to manage leads almost like their playoff games. I think if you have a four-run lead in the seventh inning, maybe in a normal season in April or May you would put in uh, one of your you know, lower-tier bullpen guys. Do you think like Rocco a, does that, Jake? Like, I think That runs so against his, what seems to be his nature. I agree, but I think he's, he's too smart not to adjust and understand the situation. You just can't risk it now. You know, in, in April, let's say they have a four-run lead against the, the, the White Sox in an April game. You probably throw out uh, Zach Mattel or, uh, you know, fill in the blank, Matt Whistler, somebody like that. Uh, you know, quality guys, but not your top guys. Uh, now, you don't have that luxury. You have to lock down every win. I think you put Tyler Duffy, Romo, May, Rogers into – games where they have a four or five run lead because you, you just you can't take any chances you blow two or three games because you don't have your best guys out there that that could be the season so yeah I think they will manage differently but that's one of the things I'm most interested to see is how they handle rest and recovery and how they handle pitcher workload in this shortened season because it's so important right like the, yeah. the, whole, the whole thing for Rocco from day one of taking this job was was the philosophy of you know, there's not going to be a lot of rules, rest and recovery. I'm not going to pitch you two consecutive days. And so this, this, whole, this whole season, as far as the Twins go, is going to run counter to their beliefs. Yes, that's and right. I guess the question is, and, and then, and then here, here, so here's the dirty little question, though, okay? Here's the thing that people aren't asking. Do they think of it like that? And do they all think to themselves, damn it, there's a World Series title. There's the Commissioner's Trophy. Manfred might not care about the title, but we do about the Commissioner's Trophy. It's on the line. Do they think like that? Or do they think like I do to a certain degree when it comes to all of these sports that are trying to get back? It's sort of a feel-good return to sports. I'll take it. I'm not, I'm not complaining one bit. But the flip side of my case is, is this worth throwing everything in the kitchen sink and potentially doing something that I wouldn't do, which, by the way, might come back to bite me in the butt health-wise in 2021? Or is this, uh, I'm going to try hard. It's not that I'm going to try and throw games, but I'm also not going to make decisions that might affect people negatively into 2021 because I want to win in 2020. Because I will say this, I am going to, personally, I'm going to put a lot on 2021. Because I'm convinced we ain't playing baseball in 2022. And this Twins team, in some ways, is built for long haul, Jake. But in some ways, Donaldson, Nelson Cruz, potentially, it's built for the short term. And if I'm going to put a premium on trying to win a title in the short term, if I can get one commissioner's trophy 
I want the hopefully 162 game season, 2021 trophy. So I just, I'm curious how teams are going to think. And if some teams are going to think 60 games, let's go for sure. And let's throw everything into it. And some teams are going to be like, you know what? It's 60 games. We'll try, but we ain't going to make dumb decisions. I think, I think there's going to be a mix. I think some teams, I think teams who probably wouldn't be in contention in a 162 will probably think about it more in, in terms of, you know, we'll try hard, but whatever, this doesn't really mean anything. I think the twins have so much invested in this season that they're, that they're going to really go for it because Cruz is probably going to be gone after this year. And I, I, I think didn't Doogie say that they were way apart on a potential contract. Extension? Which by the way, shocked me. It, me too. And, and I love Nelson gonna... Cruz and he is a great guy. And yes, I thought he won that, hum- uh, the, the, uh, what was it? The Muhammad Ali yep. uh, humanitarian award. Yeah. And that, and I, I love Cruz. It, it, he's an amazing guy. He does a lot for the community, but, like what is he asking for like three years, 40 million? Like that's I, what I, I said. Yeah. But, but anyways, but so, so Cruz is, is probably going to be gone. Uh, Rich Hill will probably be gone. Donaldson is getting older. So I, I just think they really thought this was the year they built everything for, for this season and, and next season. And so I don't think they're going to say, you know, we'll try hard, but we're not going to really go, you know, all out for this. I, I think they know they're one of the teams that can really win it. and it doesn't matter if there's an asterisk next to it. They want that World Series. And I, I think they're going to manage their roster and manage games as if this is it. They're trying to win it this year. But it will, it, it'll be interesting to see because I agree, not every team is going to try. I mean, you look at the Giants. You know, Buster Posey just opted out at, as, as he should have. You know, he had, he had twins that were premature, and I don't blame him. I don't blame any player for opting out. But a team like that who's rebuilding, like they're not going to risk health. They're not going to go all out to do this. and. Uh, and there are lots of teams uh, that you can put in that category, but I don't think the Twins are one of them. I and I think I think a tell uh, that they're really trying to win is who they invited to summer camp, right? They invited very few prospects. Only their really elite prospects that did they invite, and none of them are in big league camp other than Ryan Jeffers. The rest are all at CHS Field. Sure. Uh, Royce Lewis, Kirilov, Rooker—they're all at CHS Field. So sure. they brought in guys. They brought in veteran guys, right? Like uh, Shasin guys like that um, who they feel like could help them this year. And I think that was a tell that they're really trying to win. Good point. This season. Yeah. Um, uh, Kopech opting out on the White Sox mean what to you? Because, you know, Cleveland and the White Sox are, are the two teams that, if you're the Twins, probably concern, concern you a bit. And I do think the White Sox have some nice pieces in place to be competitive uh, with his decision. And he, he hadn't pitched in a year plus, but – with his decision to opt out, do you do the White Sox concern you less, or is that a non-factor to you? Well, I mean, it hurts them. I mean, he was going to be a member of their rotation for sure. Um, I don't know how much they would have gotten out of Kopech this year because I think he said in his comments that he wasn't sure he was even going to be ready to start the season, um, that he didn't feel comfortable with the short ramp up. So my guess is they would have really eased him in anyway. So I don't sure. know that he would have been a huge factor, but obviously it hurts them because uh, he, he was going to be – I think a contributor at some point. So, but I, I still wouldn't overlook the White Sox. I, I, I mean, they added Encarnacion. Uh, you know, they've got they. Keuchel. I'm sorry. Keuchel too. Keuchel. Yep. And they have Luis Robert. Luis Robert is a. I mean, he's an absolute stud. They, they signed him to a sixty million dollar deal before he ever played a game in the majors. So that tells yep. you uh, what they think of him. So I think in a. So getting back to that whole idea of depth versus talent. This is where I think the White Sox could really benefit 
because uh, they don't have the depth. They don't have the depth to compete in a 162 game season. I, I don't, they don't have the pitching depth. I don't think that they would have been a major factor. But in a 60-game sprint with that top talent, especially if Robert hits right out of the gate uh, and Giolito is the Giolito of last year, that's still a team to watch out for. So, yeah, hurting, uh, losing Kopech hurts a little bit, but I, I wouldn't overlook them, and I definitely wouldn't look the, overlook the Indians. If that rotation stays healthy, oh, it's really tough to beat. It's damn good. That's oh, man. Pitching staff, man. That's a yeah. fun staff to watch. It is, and they, they develop pitching there. I mean, Aaron Savali, that guy, you know, he wasn't a top prospect by any means, and he had like a two ERA last year when he came up. I mean, they're – and that's, that's where Falvey, uh, you know, sort of honed his craft, is developing yep. pitching in Cleveland. And, you know, he was a big part of developing Kluber. And, you know, the fact that they feel comfortable trading away guys like Bauer uh, and, and, and Kluber uh, and still feel like they're going to have a top-tier top, uh, top pitching staff tells you how confident they are in their ability to develop pitching. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overlook Cleveland at all. I think their offense is going to be mediocre. Um, defensive friend Mill Reyes hits. Uh, they're – they're, Stop going to bars. He, he went to a bar and they had to quarantine him because or, or a party. He didn't and because he didn't wear a mask. He didn't wear a mask. He went to a party and was not social distancing. And he came back and they're like, "You're not in trouble, but you can't practice." And that's that's going to be another. That's yeah. be to me one of the most interesting things. And I will say this, and I'll credit soccer. MLS has this right. If you have a team get a severe breakout, I am all for saying you're done. You're not playing, and I'm I'm for, I'm for that in basketball, and in hockey in the bubble, and I'm for that in baseball. If you have a team that has a breakout, and you know guys went to bars and stuff, I am all for saying sorry, your season's done. We will make do with what we have, but we're not going to let this thing spread like wildfire because one or two teams screwed up. Yeah, but baseball is never going to shut down a team, and there's one obvious reason for that. Oh, I know, I know, but I'm for it. I'm saying I like yeah. the fact saying just go home. Oh, me too. Oh, do it, but I like the idea. I agree. Yeah, no, MLS handled that right, and the Indians handled Cleveland handled that right with uh, with Reyes. But that that's that's going to be a difference maker, right? The teams that and look, a lot of this is just luck. You can do everything right and still get COVID. So I'm not yeah. saying. Uh, you know, that any player who tests positive wasn't following the guidelines because that is absolutely not true. If you go to Starbucks and get a coffee, you could get it just like that. But the teams that do follow the protocols really closely and do everything they possibly can to stay safe are going to have an advantage. Of course, they're going to have an advantage. Um, And and that's not what's most important. Obviously, we just want everybody to stay safe and and you don't want to see any player, any coach um, get sick or have to go to the hospital. I mean, that would be a nightmare scenario for baseball. But I do think whichever team ends up winning the World Series will probably have very few positive tests throughout the course of the season. And whether that's luck or players just closely following the protocols, whatever it is, yep. it's obviously that's going to be a, a big advantage. And the Twins so far, everything they're saying at least, it seems like they're doing a really good job of following the protocols. I mean, obviously you had Astadio and Sano test positive. And by the way, I think Sano may have tested positive because he was on that flight. Did you see the story about that flight from the Dominican? I did indeed, and I thought the same exact thing. And baseball didn't screen those guys in before they got on on the flight because they, they said, well, we can't take tests away from um, the Dominican. But nonetheless, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that that's the thing is he got on that flight, and there were a lot of guys um, who, who got exposed to to it. And that's the thing about this. It doesn't take a lot of sick people to expose a ton of people. 
But I think you're right. I think he did. Um, but yeah, if what you're going to have is is the champion for 2020 is probably going to have a good team, but just as importantly, some luck as well. Yes. If you can keep guys on the field consistently and have guys be smart in their approach, it's probably going to pay big. And I mean, because if you have, a, you know, Jake, if the Yankees get hit by this or, you know, take your pick, the, the Dodgers, it doesn't matter how much talent you potentially have if that talent can't play because of this virus. That's exactly right. But just real quick on the Dominican flight thing. This is a great example of baseball just screwing this whole testing thing up. And they've screwed it up from the beginning, which is not a surprise to me at all. But I get it. You don't want to take away tests from the Dominican Republic, of course. So what you do is send down however many tests you need for those players and then double that or triple that and put that into the community in the Dominican Republic to show that you're not taking tests away. You're, you're adding tests. You're doing something positive for that community, right? While testing your players at the same time to make sure they don't have it. How sure. could nobody have thought of that? That's, not a, that's a very easy solution, right? Because you know why? Because they were fighting about money. All they were fighting about was bleeping money. Yeah. And CBA and who got what and who didn't get what. And they weren't thinking every bit of, of energy that these people had should have been put into COVID-19. Yes. Like and this whole, all the time they spent spinning their wheels, basically butting heads should have been spent with both sides sitting down saying, what do the protocols have to be that right now nobody's thinking about? So not like, let's be safe and here's some testing. Um, what do the protocols, what should they be that people currently, as they sat there and talked about it, aren't thinking of? Because what we're seeing now is they also didn't think of those themselves. And you're, you're a thousand percent right. The fact that baseball has, I mean, they reported for the start of summer camp on July, what, second or so, first? Yep. They then said, they then said, well, the test got hung up by the July 4th holiday. The last time I checked, we've been celebrating um, the July 4th holiday in this country for quite a while. What, it caught you by surprise? Hey, July 4th, we can't get the testing back. And then teams couldn't practice. And then it's a problem. You know, you're trying to tell players and their families, you're going to be safe. And the first thing you do is make them feel not safe. It's, it's just right. the, the idiocy is mind blowing. And they're also, I, I think I saw, it might've been Rich Hill came out and said, they're testing the players every other day, but they're only testing the, the, like the trainers and the clubhouse staff a couple days a week. Yes, well, sir. What, what difference does it make if you're a player or a clubhouse staff, if you don't want community spread in the clubhouse, you should be testing everybody who's in the clubhouse. This is not a hard thing to figure out. Why would you test the, the clubhouse staff fewer times? It's just so, it's just so mind-bogglingly stupid. Because they didn't think it through. They didn't think these things through. And, and, and to your point about the flight uh, from the Dominican to here, they also are trying to do things relatively on the cheap. Yes, and, and that's, that's stupid too. I mean, from a PR perspective and just from a be a good – human and be a good organization, like put tests out in the community in all of these areas. If you're going to take tests away uh, from, you know, Minneapolis or Seattle or New York or wherever, then you have to put tests back in the community to show that you're not taking tests away from people who need it. And they have the money to do that. It's a $10 billion industry. I got news for you. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till the national football league gets its into this thing. You talk about a league that ain't going to care. You talk about a league that's going to look at the bottom line of, are we getting the CBS, Fox, ESPN, blah, blah, blah. Are those checks being cashed? 
Because if they are, I'm sorry, community, you're not getting tested. And by the way, the backup uh, defensive tackle just got tested for the third time this week. I, I mean, this is this is the one thing about sports that yeah, we just well. all have to be realistic about. They care about one thing, and that and that. Do you really think that basketball and hockey try and come back if this was not about trying to milk every last cent of their TV contracts? Of course they don't. Of course. And that's, that's the gross thing about professional sports and, by the way, Division One college sports. And it's even oh, grosser yeah. in Division One college sports because the players aren't even getting compensated. But, yeah, it's, it's, it is gross, and it makes it, it makes it less enjoyable to follow, but it's just a reality of it. Um, but did, did you see the NFL – just real quick, the NFL came came out and said that the players can't shake hands and exchange jerseys yes. after after sixty minutes of tackling each other. Yes, going up and players immediately mocked it, which they should have mocked it. Yeah, you can't you can't go get a Melvin Gordon jersey, but you could tackle him like up close and personal and hug him for three hours. Yeah, the the NFL is is such a joke when it comes to that stuff and. They're going to field rosters. It doesn't matter how many players test positive. They're going to field rosters. I keep saying. Oh yeah, just I've just, said the same exact thing. They just need the. They just want the TV money. Go get Joe Bob, who played at uh, Wasika High School, because yeah. I I think he can play a little bit of right guard this week. Because uh, all the rest of the guards are you know are sick. Then no, you're right. But anyway, I'm glad baseball's back. It's yeah. fun to see it back. It's very weird. I'm not completely convinced that we're going to get through the uh, year, but in the new Zolgad mantra, I'm taking it all day to day. I'm going to target field again today. I think Rich Hill is going to pitch. I'm actually now enjoying inter-squad baseball. That's how far I've come, good or bad, in 2012. I am too. Baseball's back for all the problems. It's back, and that's a good thing. So let's enjoy it while it's here. All right, Scorn our Twin Show. He's Jake. I'm Judd. We'll talk to you later. To be your best every day, You need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples... Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.